Last week, uh, we talked on uh, the text previous to this about this word of love that's offered freely. Remember, Paul goes to great lengths to stress to you and to us and to the church of Rome that the gospel is to be offered freely to all, that there is no prerequisites to entering and hearing this word, right? There's, you know, if you were in college, you had to take prereqs to get into certain other classes. There's nothing like that when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is offered freely for all, and all should hear that message. That word of love is to be offered freely. And today, we kind of shift to how that word of love is to be offered. It must be spoken and heard. Um, over you know, this last few weeks, we've been doing some things at our house, and it will continue on through probably the summer and fall. Um, but when it comes to doing things around the, the house, like I'm not super confident. I'm a firstborn. Um, I'm averse to failure. I don't really like track with a lot of details that are required for doing things well around the house. And I'm not naturally handy. And so my dad was, was a handy guy. And he tried to teach me things to be handy, but he would get frustrated often at me growing up because of the lack of confidence and the aversion to mistakes. If you are doing home projects, right, mistakes are part of the deal. Like you just make mistakes. There's messing up and there's backing up and there's redoing. And I don't want any part of that, to be honest. So when it comes to it, I need lots of help and encouragement to finish any project around my house. Nagging doesn't help. It just pep talks, shame, none of that helps. What helps is someone who knows what they're doing and who's done it before. Watching, seeing, hearing from them. I need a preacher or YouTube or Stephen Siebert. Like, I need one of those things to come over and to help me. Now, here in Romans 10, Paul is asking six questions. Now, one of these isn't really phrased as a question, but it has a how word, so we're going to say six questions. There's six questions, and that's our outline this morning. The first one starts, the first several start in verse 14. How will they call on Jesus if they have not believed in him? Okay, so to the analogy, how will I call on the YouTube builder guy if I don't think I need any help, right? I mean, yesterday I used YouTube for one project, and I didn't for the other project. When Danette and I technically used YouTube for our ice machine, it went smoothly. Everything worked. But I still had to humble myself and seek help. But later, I built some bookshelves that were pretty straightforward. I got the idea. I put the first one to together, and it was jicky. Now, that's Danette and I's word for something that isn't quite right but will work. You see, I didn't realize that the bracket for the back of the shelf needed the four screw, screw holes on the same side. So I didn't follow the details. I didn't watch a YouTube. And then it was together, and I didn't want to go back and redo it. So we have one perfect shelf, and we have one jicky shelf. That's because I didn't call on YouTube or Directions or Danette or Stephen. Paul asked the question, if everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, how will they call if they have not believed on him? Now follow Paul's logic here. We've been talking about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, right? Three sermons ago, we talked about this antinomy, the two tracks of sovereignty and responsibility and how the Bible teaches both of these tracks. Paul does this here. God is sovereign and man is responsible. God hardens hearts and man also hardens their own heart. God passes over some and those, are, and those some are active in their rejection of God. 
Paul is referring here to Israel rejecting God, and the Gentiles who used to reject God are now believing. What happened? Well, God moved, and the Gentiles responded. Here, Paul asks, how can people call if they don't believe? This is also, I think, relates to one of the questions we talked about last week with the marrow controversy. What comes first, turning from sin or belief? And the answer is belief. It is only Christ by the Spirit who can enliven any of us to turn from sin. Here too, if the gospel is to be offered freely so one can believe, God must enliven us to his call. I must be made aware of my need. I must feel needy. How does this happen? It's all sorts of ways. Something happens. There is a circumstance that makes one aware. Like, I mess up enough on my home project. I, I know my limitations. This is above my pay grade and experience, and I seek help. Existential crises cause us to seek help. The offer of the gospel is just made, and something happens in us, and we respond. And this leads to the second question. How are they going to believe in Jesus if they have never heard of him? Sorry, one too many. If the message, the good news, the gift about Jesus, the announcement, that word euangelion, good news, if that announcement is made, Jesus is the king, right? How are they going to believe in that Jesus if they've never heard of him? Right, Like before Twitter and the internet, how did one hear about news? Well, there's a paper. There was news on a screen. Before that, a person, a writer like Paul Revere would come and announce the British are coming. How did we build anything right before YouTube? Instructions like written, and some instructions are better than others. Like some are pictures and words. Ikea, just pictures, not so helpful. Others, just a jumble of words, not so helpful. But before that, how did we do that? Like it was a person, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your neighbor showed you. They preserved the stories and kept telling it to you. What if they never heard of Jesus? Now, next week, we're going to actually circle back to this question. But I want you today to see what Paul is saying. Saving faith comes by hearing the message of Jesus about him, who he is, what he has done. And there were, in Paul's day, many who had never heard the name Jesus. And there are today millions, billions, who have never heard the name of Jesus. But a person cannot normally believe unless the message is heard. That's what Paul wants us to hear this morning. It doesn't normally, let me just say normally, it's not the normative way for something to happen mystically. Like even Philip had to be sent supernaturally to the Ethiopian eunuch to tell him about Jesus. I've heard of Muslims having dreams about Jesus during Ramadan because the church is praying. So God can do what he wants, but God chooses to use humans to preach and announce the news about him. And that leads to question three. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How will they hear without a preacher? There's this ad, I've referred to it uh, several times. It's an old LeBron ad that happened started in 2008. It's about the basketball player LeBron James, and it opens with all these, the commercial ad, it's by Nike, opens with all these pictures drawn by different people of LeBron's face. And it just works through this commercial and this ad with all these different people who have drawn a picture of LeBron. Different people, different pictures. And then they start telling, as they're showing the picture, 
of LeBron James, they start telling stories about him, about what they saw him do, about this dunk or this pass or this victory. All throughout his like high school and then college and then NBA career early on, they tell these stories about him, and it ends with the word in white against the black backdrop, witness, and then the Nike swoosh. And all these people that make up the ad are witnesses to the greatness that is LeBron James. They've seen him, so they start preaching, announcing what they have seen. I am a witness. Friends, this is preaching. And the herald would walk the streets announcing news. They aren't professionals necessarily. They are someone who had and experienced something that made them want to go and talk about it. Have you thought about this regarding YouTube? Like, what makes someone do a YouTube video about some home project? What makes them a preacher, a witness, a living word and example? Now, maybe it's money, right? Like subscribers and likes. Maybe it's that. Like, there, Nike ran another witness ad. I don't know if you saw it during the Super Bowl. It was interesting because the ad now says, Witness me. And the individual is witnessing about themselves, and they say, witness me, I will preach about myself. Now, we could study this culturally, and we should, because it says some interesting message about how things have changed since 2008. But certainly, there are those on YouTube who approach their preaching in this way. And there is something about our stories that God uses in redemption, by the way, like your story and the story of your life is something that God uses. You're a walking witness of Jesus. We here at City Press tell stories of rescue and renewal. We talk about how Jesus changed us. These are powerful. You are a witness, and this is what witnessing looks like. But I do think the focus of these two Nike ads and a guy who makes YouTube videos gives us a clues about a different way to preach. Like, what if it was delight? I want to share what I've seen, right? Like, the New Testament is filled with these sort of witnesses. The blind man, right? He is brought to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. You're that blind guy, right? What happened? Who healed you? Who's responsible for what's changed in you? How did it happen? He says, I don't, I don't know. I met this man, Jesus, and I used to be blind, but now I see. And then the Samaritan woman. She says, he told me everything about myself, all about my life. He saw me and he knew me, and then she went to her village and she told about what she had seen. The book of John has encounter after encounter after encounter, and John is inviting us through the gospel to come and see who this Jesus is. Now, Josh alluded to this quote. He didn't know I was going to have it in my sermon, too. But I use this quote all the time. I can't wait to use it the next time. But I think this is Lewis. You can't read that. But I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Duke, uh, Deke this morning was sitting around the island and he says, Dad, I'm wearing my Minecraft shirt. You know why? Because I want everyone to know I love Minecraft. Now, he didn't know I was preaching on this, but I was like, oh, that's just gold. <laughs> and this leads to question four. How are they to preach it unless they are sent? Verse 15. Here is that tension again, right, between God and us, sovereignty and responsibility. How will they call unless they believe? 
How will they believe if they haven't heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Paul doesn't let up on the tension. And yet there is this beautiful dance and interplay in someone, anyone, hearing the gospel and believing. God and humanity are in this dance of faith. God is calling and sending and opening eyes and hearts and using humans to witness what they have seen and heard, using our human stories, our broken, made beautiful stories, and they're even kind of still broken stories. He's using our vocations and our occupations and our marriages and our children and our struggles and our addictions and our homes and our hospitality and our sin. He even uses our very sin. He uses the things we make, and he uses our tattoos, and he uses our very bodies. God in humanity in this dance of delight, God bringing delight in the gift of his grace through us in our stories. Right? Have you ever gotten that, that gift? That gift that you want to tell someone about and show, show someone about? There's this thing on TikTok where uh, it says where there's this voiceover, everyone has this one thing in their house that is so cool. It could be a hidden cabinet, a gadget, a movie room. Ours is this. And then they open the doors and there's this thing that they want to witness to. I mean, social media, no matter what you might feel about it, is really this place that's built on witnessing. It's a jacked up place. It's filled with all sorts of half-truths, untruths, dif- disinformation. But it's also a place where delight is expressed. I've witnessed, and I am going to complete my delight by sharing my enjoyment. Paul is this guy. He preaches. Why? Because God met him on the road to Damascus and brought him this really hard and terrible, terrible news. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you killing me, Paul? And Jesus meets Paul and gives him a vision of what he's been doing, and then he sends him blind to Ananias. And the Lord said to Ananias, go to Saul, heal him of his blindness. And Ananias says, I've heard of this man. He's a murderer. But the Lord says, go. And then he says, he will be an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of the earth, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that, I may regain your, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. Oh, what a dance. What a dance. The YouTube guy gives me sight by his delight and witness. Stephen gives me sight by coming to my home to hang a door, puts up a garage door opener. They are witnesses, preachers, heralds of experience and delight. And they are sent with news. And that leads to the fifth question, how beautiful are the feet of they who bring the good news. Here Paul quotes Isaiah 52:7. This originally referred to the messengers who reported the Jewish relief from release from captivity at Babylon. Imagine that, the news that you could go home again. After 70 years that you'd been 
sent into exile, living in another country, not being able to practice your faith. And now you get to be sent home. And someone came and announced that to you. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news. This would come to reflect the announcement of Messiah, the anointed one to be sent by God to redeem Israel. How beautiful would be anyone who announced the news of the coming of the Messiah. Think about what we just celebrated during Advent. And the people God used to be witnesses of the Messiah coming. How beautiful were their feet when they brought the announcement, the shepherds and Mary. How beautiful were their feet to announce this good news. That word beautiful means ripe moment. The perfect moment for the message to be told and shared. When the dance begins, when the dance is danced, when the dance ends, all those moments of the dance are beautiful and the gospel comes at moments ordained by God through you, the beautiful people of God. And it's always incarnational. It's always through people, through you and me and us and through Paul. The Gentiles believe in Jesus because this happened to him. He received this incredible gift on the road to Damascus, running the other way, murdering members of Christ's body, the church. Paul was powerful and scary, and God saves him by sending Ananias to help Paul see what happened to him. Ananias goes and is present and proclaims Jesus, and Saul becomes Paul and is saved. And the sent one in Greek is the word for apostle. Christ sends us out to complete our delight by speaking what we have seen and heard. He sends us overseas or into a pulpit or across the street or in a moment of crisis or in our vocations. He sends us. And it's beautiful. A couple weeks ago... um, Dua Lipa and Stephen Colbert talked on The Late Show. Colbert asked if she would like to interview him. After a moment of reflection, Lipa asked Colbert about his relationship between faith and work as a comedian. I think something that your viewers will really connect with in your comedy and your hosting skills, especially in the past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role of your faith and how it plays out in your life. Lipa, who is a Muslim, told Colbert, do your faith and your comedy ever overlap, and does one ever win out? Ultimately, all of us being mortal, the faith will win out in the end, he says, but I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. Colbert adds, I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and he goes on to elaborate core principles of his faith and the spiritual dimension humor can have. He said, his faith is connected to the idea of love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving yourself to other people, and that death is not defeat. Death is not defeat, he says. There's some relationship between my faith and my comedy. It's so that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other to then. Now, I thought it was beautiful as I watched it. It shimmered with good news while not complete, It hinted at death and resurrection and delight. Was there more to be said? Sure. Was it provocative, thoughtful, and interesting? Yes. Did it witness to Jesus in the public square and what difference he has made in Stephen? It did, at least in part. Now, 
Hear me, friends. Sometimes the message of love and delight we share is complete. Like it's life on life, faithful presence. You are friends with someone on your kid's basketball team, and over years you are just there. And then there is a crisis. And because you have been there and are a faithful presence of love to this person or this family, you get to share about the whole thing about Jesus. Or you share the last part of something that you've been sharing. And God in that moment causes the scales to come off. And you got to be through there through all of it. Or, or maybe you tell part of the story, a partial witness to something beautiful that you maybe made. And while you made it, this news and knowledge of something beautiful you made sits dormant in someone until someone else comes and completes the story and connects this to sin and to Jesus. Or maybe you share the four spiritual laws with someone who walks into your life and is seeking. Or maybe your life, your God-infused life shines forth some aspect or gift of grace you've received and you made room for someone else and your life is real and it's full of brokenness and beauty and God uses this as you share to bring someone into enjoyment and belief. Like if you have been saved, if you have been called and you have believed and if you've heard the name of Jesus and been preached to, then you've been sent. If you've experienced Jesus, In any way, friends, you have been sent. And there's pre-evangelism where we prepare the ground and there is our presence helping people come to a place of seeing their need, like letting them fail like me with a home project or, and then sending them the YouTube link or driving over and showing me how to do it. But there are these moments where we must speak. We must complete our delight. And we won't always get it right. Like my preaching, some aspect of the preaching is like a diamond. Like the Puritans used to describe the gospel as a multifaceted diamond. Like a diamond, the gospel has many sides that create a new glimmer or sparkle with the slightest rotation in any direction. And we associate diamonds with beauty so that we stare at them, study them, admire them, delight in them. The gospel should be treated this way. And there's all kinds of different facets to this gospel that we share. Christ slays the dragon and wins victory for me. Christ drinks the cup of God's wrath for me as a substitute for my sin and dies in my place. Christ redeems me, buys me back from death and sin. Christ pays the ransom, the ransom note to the devil for me. Christ takes my sin and my shame and expiates it on the cross. Christ liberates and sets me free. Christ is my reconciliation to God, to others, to the world, to myself. Christ shows us how God is with us in our suffering, present to us, a very present help in our time of trouble. He empathizes with us, understands our brokenness and everyone else's. Christ is the resurrection and the life. He makes all things new. He gives us a hope and a calling. Christ is our example. You see, when a woman is given a diamond engagement ring, she doesn't scream, cry, giggle, and then put the ring back in the box. She puts it on her finger, examines it, looks at it from every angle, delights in its beauty, keeps it on her finger to remind her of her fiancé's love so that she will continue to love him in return. This is what the gospel should be like for every one of us. And there are as many facets to that diamond that we get to delight in, experience, and then share. And we don't always share every part of it when we share it. 
We say the word, and the word is the word of Christ. The word of Christ, Jesus saved me. Jesus is Lord. He lived, died, and was raised. I don't know. I used to be blind. But now I see he, he, he saw me, knew everything about me. And he still loved me. We all get to share this message. It's not guilt. It's delight. And that's what you've been made for, church. And every time you share even one facet about how your faith relates to your work, like Stephen Colbert, it is one aspect of the beauty of the dance of the gospel going forth. And when you share that Jesus died for your sin, and you lead someone to that path where the scales fall off, in that moment, that dance is beautiful. And so are your feet. Make no mistake, what 16 and 17 are true, not all will believe. And this leads to the last question, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? There is a wordplay going on in Greek for accepted, which comes from the word hearing. Those two words are related. Jews heard the gospel, but they did not accept it at Paul's time. Here, Paul quotes Isaiah 53.1. Right? If you know Isaiah 53, right? It's like one of the best passages of the Bible. But here, Paul starts this by quoting verse 1. The message that was delivered but not believed. And Paul says, hearing is required, but so is belief. Now, we will come back to this Jewish question in more detail when we discuss the rest of 10 in chapter 11. But, friends, you know this. Sometimes people hear, and they don't believe. And for some of you in this room, that is a really heavy weight. You feel the the weight of the dance. It's like when I got, had to dance for my wedding. <laughs> I wasn't a regular dancer. I danced, and so did Annette, but we didn't dance a, a lot. And so we kind of like had to take like lessons and practice our dancing. My mom had to take lessons. She was so nervous. She broke out in hives all over her neck. There was this weight to the dance about being there and Sharing, there's a way to, in sharing the news that we all feel. Will I get it right? Is now the time? How do I share it? We all feel that. But there's also this weight that's even more heavy that when we share it, people don't believe. And it actually increases weirdly the weight of judgment that falls. And it's heavy. You delight in the gospel. You delight in Jesus being known and seen and heard. And yet you share that news and many act as if it's nothing. Or many dismiss it like Josh described. Like take, ground you, pull you back down to the reality of earth and sin. But make no mistake, Paul is clear. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And I don't know all the elements of how God works in the dance. God must wake someone up. My argument, my story is never enough. It takes the supernatural activity of God. But it's not 
normative for that to be alone. It's the dance of my story and my witness and God's sovereign election of that person. And so there's no frozen chosen for us. There is only freedom in life for us because it doesn't depend on our source of argument, our words, how beautiful we make the sharing of it. You don't have to be eloquent. You can just say, I don't know. I used to be blind. Now I can see. And God, in that moment, enlivens them through that word to the beauty and wonder of Jesus, and they're saved. You see, Paul settles back into this tension, the dance of the beautiful feet of Jesus and us. No stepping on toes, but movements of proclamation made by us with our stumbling feet and his beautiful ones. And Jesus makes for ripe moments and ripe seasons and gives us the beauty marked upon our life as he takes our brokenness and makes it beautiful and makes even those horrible stories of shame and evil somehow good. And then he sends us out to complete the enjoyment, to share our histories and our struggles and to be a witness for what he's done. Not all will hear and believe, but some will. And they will hear in your story about your vocation or your life or your struggle or your hospitality. They will hear your voice and your words. And through that, incarnationally, they will hear the word of Christ. And they will believe. Friends, you are sent to be the beautiful feet of Jesus. Go like Stephen Siebert. Take some time off of your day to make room for some dude who's afraid of failure and show and tell him how to hang a door. Go like the YouTube guy and let your delight be complete as you share the beautiful things God has created in you in Christ. For you are all witnesses. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to enter the dance We don't know how to dance so much. But I pray that we take a step out on the dance floor because you have saved us. You've taught us the rhythm of the gospel. You've allowed us to keep time in some maybe imperfect way. We can feel the tap, the tap of your gospel. We've kept time to it. And you're calling us out onto the floor to delight in you and what you've done. And you are the lead. Help us to follow your lead, God. You make time ripe. And you send us out. Help us to go even if rejected, even if our moves on the floor aren't always pure or great or graceful. Help us to keep stepping out on the floor today, God, to dance the dance of faith with you, for you make our feet beautiful. Remind us of that this morning, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.